Why does Jesus matter today? That's what we're looking at in Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. Why does he matter today? He questions our doubts. He questions our doubts. He'd offer us something sturdy to stand upon. If you've ever been in a conversation with somebody, I hope you have. If you haven't, I hope you start to think about and pray about that. Conversation with a family member, maybe at a holiday gathering, or conversation with a coworker across the cubicle in a down moment or at lunch. And they ask you, why on earth do you waste your time with church? Why all this God stuff? It's, what's with it? And at that moment, you have an opportunity to share the reason for the hope that's in you. Why you value Jesus? Why you value gathering with all these awkward people that look to Jesus with you in the church and so on? You can share the reason for the hope. It's got to be a good reason, I think, right? That would get us out of bed on a Sunday morning and bring us here together. That would enable us to endure through life, doing life together. It's hard enough to do life in your own family unit than invite all of the family systems of the church together and do life and persevere to the end there. That's what Jesus is, is calling us to. Why do you do that? Well, hopefully you could have a good conversation sharing that, but something that I hope you would take a step and do is I hope you would listen to them and that you would ask, well, why do you doubt God? And I wonder, if you were in that conversation, you know, you're, you're slurping some, you know, Burger King, Diet Coke, or whatever it is, as you're having that conversation, could you listen without having to interject the reason why you're right and they're wrong? Could you let them share their heart? Because what a powerful thing that would be, the relational trust that could be built the love that could be shared. Maybe they've never even gotten to share that. Maybe they've never even formulated it, and that might help them crystallize. Well, this is actually the thing. When I was in high school, I, I left the faith after my freshman year uh, for, for a few years, I suppose. And at that time, if you would ask me, why, why, why aren't you a Christian anymore? Why aren't you going to youth group? Why aren't you doing that God stuff? It was because I would have presented to you. It was because oh, I just think all that stuff is so stupid. And, you know, I read Siddhartha in my freshman literature class, and Buddhism is way cooler than Christianity. And, you know, I, I had these kind of pseudo-intellectual reasons. But underneath the surface of that, there was a lot more going on. At the very least, there was a, a young man who didn't want anyone telling me what to do. So the reality of a God was not convenient for me at that time in my life. There were also other things in my life, other questions that were deep-seated that wouldn't have come out with a short conversation, but required someone to love and to listen. And this is where I think we find a mentor in Jesus. Even right here in this passage, we're going to see him questioning the doubt of Peter. You heard it. We're going to hear it again several times. He says, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Why? He didn't give him an answer here is the correct answer to give me now. Here's your Sunday school, you know, fill in the blank answer. No, he just asked the question, brings him into the boat. Now, remarkably though, Jesus is being this incredible mentor in the faith to his disciples after an incredibly exhausting day. He was uh, hoping to get away by himself because he had just heard that his best friend was murdered. John the baptizer was murdered by Herod. 
And when he hears this, he wants to get alone, but he can't because the crowds come to him and they're, they're just pressing upon him to be healed. And he sees them and he has compassion on them. And he spends the whole day healing them and then feeding them. And remember, Jesus is fully God, also fully human. He feels like we feel. He gets tired after a day of serving people. Exhausted emotionally and physically. And, and so he wants to be alone. And finally, we'll see him getting to be alone. Yeah, you could imagine the disciples and the crowds wouldn't want to leave him. They've just seen something amazing. They've seen God-like power. What could explain someone who can make bread happen, you know? Like, that's something no one has ever seen before. But then we're going to see that clarity, that moment of clarity with Jesus is, is going to become clouded by the storm for Peter. And for the crowds, we wonder if they ever saw clearly at all. Because we're going to find out later on in the gospel that the crowds, in fact, turn on Jesus. And the very ones who were coming to him for healing, who would, would beg to touch the hem of his garment, some of those crowds are shouting out, crucify him. There was never a clear vision of who he was, it seems, that they took hold of. And so I just wonder, what is it that, that causes us to move from those points of clarity into doubt? What is it for you? What makes you struggle with doubt? What leads you into that place where you can't see God clearly, where you wonder if he's still good, if he's still there, if he still loves you? What are the questions you raise to him? Or do you ever verbalize the questions? Do you ever get to the point of asking God the questions? What makes you doubt? Peter, it's, it's really, I, I, I frankly think it's reasonable uh, for Peter. Look at, look at Peter. He's, he's walking on water for a second. I mean, wow. He, he gets out of the boat and standing on water, I can't imagine this moment. He's standing on water and there's wind and there's waves and he sees, perhaps a friend suggested to me, might be the spray off the top of the crest of the waves that he sees, because it says he saw the wind, and he was afraid. And he began to sink. He lost sight of Jesus in the midst of something terrifying, something that threatened his life. Maybe it was, it was a picture of his wife flashing before his mind. I don't know, but he's, he's terrified. He loses sight of Jesus and doubts. And then we see the people here who come to him for healing. But we remember Jesus didn't just come to heal. He also came to ultimately establish his kingdom. He came to preach and to heal, to form his disciples as the new people of God, the new Israel, the new 12, who would go out in his name into the, all the nations from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth proclaiming forgiveness of sins. He didn't just come to heal everyone. And so there were a lot of people that weren't there that day that weren't healed. There were people healed that day who then, like, they scraped their knee the next day, you know? And they had other troubles the next day. And then Jesus didn't turn out to be the Messiah they thought he would be. And so before long, they lose sight of the goodness of this healer. They recognize Jesus, if you see in verse 35, men recognize Jesus, it says, but there's an irony there because you have to question, did they really see who he was? 
like the disciples got to see him. The disciples struggled to see him clearly, as we'll see in a moment, but yet, but yet they will see clearly after they press in through their doubts. And so I just want you to be honest with God today in your heart about your doubts. Jesus would come right now today and question you. Why do you doubt? That's why we need him today to come and give us something to stand on. So let, let's pray and, and then we'll, we'll continue to dig in. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he addresses us at these core places of our being, even in our doubts. He doesn't shy away from these parts of us. Thank you. So please come and speak Holy Spirit now by your word and meet us where we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we meditate on this and we think about Jesus meeting us in our doubts, I I just invite you to consider Jesus fully God and fully human. Fully human. And I wonder, did Jesus ever doubt? Have you ever, ever thought about that question? Did Jesus ever doubt? Did he ever wonder? Did he ever waver? Well, I think about the full humanity of Jesus that's on display throughout the Gospels, particularly in Matthew's Gospel. He was born. God became an embryo. This one is God with us, but he was in the womb of Mary. And after he's born, he grew. Have you ever thought about this? Here's a question. I'm not going to answer it. Part of, part of my purpose in this sermon is actually to sort of frustrate you into thinking about, I'm serious, into thinking about some of these questions. So I'm just going to ask a lot of questions today and not give you many answers today. But have you ever thought about this, how he could be God and God in Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, Luke 2.52? That's just like, there are theological categories, but you can go and think about it because it's mind-blowing. Matthew 4, Jesus was tested by the devil. He was tested. There's no suggestion that that was easy. In fact, at the end of it, He is ministered to by the angels because he's extremely hungry. He was fasting for 40 days. He's just been put through the ringer by the the devil himself. In Christ, God struggled, but he came out faithful. He was thirsty. He was weary in John 4, and the woman at the well gave him a drink. Fully human, he needed a drink. He was tired. You know, we see Jesus joking about a camel in an eye of a needle. We see him angry. We see him moved to pity. Stone cold calm at other times, but we never see a single evidence of doubt. I think that's amazing. Fully human. He was tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. And although he didn't doubt, he was troubled. And in his humanity, had to depend upon something to get him through that doubt. Everything around him would have clouded out the reality of who he was, the goodness and purpose of his mission, why he was there. It could have clouded that out, but there was something that kept him going through this. In John 11, through the tears, the anguish of death, he causes Lazarus to to rise. He weeps over Jerusalem, though she was turned against him in Luke 19, 41. He, He has a troubled soul in the Garden of Gethsemane when he considers the the cup the Lord has given to him. And he says, Father, he's praying another mystery. How does the second person of the Trinity pray? 
But here he is depending upon the Father in prayer. Father, if you would let this cup pass from me, but not what I will, but what you will. He trusts in the Lord. Even from the cross, you see him full of true, deep anguish like none of us has probably ever felt and ever could. The weight of the entire world's sin, past, present, and future, weighing upon him. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Raising up that prayer from Psalm 22. And there, I think, is the exact hint. He went to God in prayer because that is where he found rest. That's where he found his center. There's an old uh, Puritan named Richard Baxter. He wasn't Puritan enough for the Puritans, but we would call him a Puritan today. But he, he wrote a book called Converse with God in Solitude, a wonderful, wonderful meditation on how to do life with God. And at the very beginning of the book, uh, he's quoting King James, uh, but it, it, he, he puts the words of Jesus in John 16, 32. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own. He's talking to the disciples. Ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. The Father is with me. And so if we wonder, how was it that Jesus never doubted? We could take an easy route and just say, well, he was divine. Yes, that's true. He was fully human too. How in the fullness of his humanity did he never doubt? I would suggest to you today, here's one answer, that Jesus lived in the reality that God is with him. And he When everything started to cloud that out, he would do whatever it took to get to a place where he could rest in that. The Father is with me. I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. He lived on Scripture for this reason. It was his food. He lived in prayer relationship with the Trinity, inseparable union, and yet in his humanity, he would cultivate it and work and force time with God. That's what we see in in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him. I'm going to reread it and emphasize it. Jesus made the disciples get out. Leave me alone. It's like a mom, like kids, get out of the kitchen. Go anywhere else now, you know? just need to be alone. This meeting is over, and you stay in the conference room, and everybody else can go back. You need to be alone, and you force time. He made that time. He dismissed the crowds, and after he dismissed the crowds, verse 23, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. We don't know the content of the prayer, but we know what it is to be human, We know what it is to be exhausted at the end of the day. We know what it's like to be hurting emotionally and all of these things and more. He has the cross looming ahead of him, mind you. He has a purpose. He needs to be with the Father and the fullness of his divinity and humanity. I speak of mysteries I can barely understand. 
But I just invite us, if, if Jesus prioritized time alone with God, when all of the things in his life would easily make any human being doubt and wander from God's path, if he needed that and prioritized that and would force time to be with God in prayer, I just wonder what that would look like for us. What, who do we need to say, get out to a little bit, you know? Honey, get out, you know? Or maybe it's the thing that needs to get out, you know? Fully, full disclosure, you know? Um, Rewatching the office for like a fourth time uh, Michael Scott, get out, you know? You're funny, but you're not going to feed my soul. So step aside. I need this time. Force people to get, a, get away and, and turn to God and remember who he is and remember what he says of you. Remember what, Je- what God said of Jesus, my son, in whom I'm well pleased. You know that he speaks those words over you. Do you hear one? Just as Jesus coming out of the water, Holy Spirit comes upon him. You who look to Jesus, united to him by faith, those same words are yours, daughter of God. I'm pleased with you. I like you. I'm delighted in you. I'm glad to see you today. Go to him. Let him speak to you. And and let him question you. You're tired. Tell me about that. Why are you tired? You're angry. Why, why are you angry? You're, you're doubting. Why are you doubting? And talk to him about it. Maybe you don't even know what you are, but I'm just here. <laughs> he has things to say to us as disciples, and he would work through those moments in us powerfully if we would offer him the time. So I invite you to find it. You may not be able to find it every day. It's a privileged thing to be able to have a daily quiet time if you can get it. It's a good thing. Sometimes you have to force it, even if it's two minutes in the bathroom. Just get it. Because Jesus would question our doubts and give us something sturdy to stand on and meet us there. That's what he does for his disciples here in a moment of their doubt. So they're out in the boat. So he's up alone on a mountain. They're out on a boat. They're far from land now, and the winds are against them, and the waves are coming up, and it's getting pretty unsettling. It's the fourth watch of the night. That means it's between three and six in the morning. So this is a time that you don't want to be awake, right? You want to be in bed at this time, but they're tired and they're scared. And at that moment, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea and they're terrified as I think all of us would be. (laughs) And they said, it's a ghost. And they cry out in fear. Interestingly, this is the second time Jesus has been mistook for something ghoulish. Remember, Herod thought that Uh, Jesus was John the baptizer coming back to haunt him at the beginning of this chapter. And now the disciples fail to recognize him. But in God's kindness, they have the opportunity because Jesus has a purpose in them. They have the opportunity to press through that doubt and to see more clearly. And in that moment, in that fear, Jesus would speak to them, take heart, it is I. 
do not be afraid. And that phrase, it is I, more naturally could be rendered, I am. Jesus says, I am. Do not be afraid. The very name of God himself, his self-declaration, he is. He is here. Be still and know this. Don't be afraid. But Peter still isn't able to see that clearly, it seems. And so he says, Lord, if it really is you, command command me to come to you on the water. He knows the power of the Lord. He just saw him feed the 5,000 people with not enough. He made more than enough. And after seeing that, he knows the Lord could command him and he could come. So he says, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter, Peter, you got to give Peter some credit. Peter got out of the boat. The waves are crashing. The wind is roaring. Jesus in front of him says, come. And he comes and he walks out toward Jesus. Yes. Everybody should be just like cheering. This is amazing. But then what does he see? He sees He sees the winds. He sees this power. And he loses sight of Jesus. And he sinks. He says, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Note, he did not say, Oh, you of no faith. Oh, you hardened unbeliever. He did not say that. He said, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? You see, the problem wasn't that he didn't have faith. He trusted Jesus to get out of the boat. That's pretty awesome right there. But his little faith wasn't proportionate to the giant rock, the reliable, sturdy, powerful one that stood before him, who was worthy of full and complete trust. That little faith didn't make sense if you could see who was in front of him, if you could see Jesus. But but notice Jesus has taken hold of Peter and he looks at him in the eye and he just asks him that question. And again, he doesn't give him an answer. He doesn't psychoanalyze him for him. He invites him to ponder the question. What caused you to lose sight of me? What caused you to question? What caused you to doubt? But when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, reminding us of chapter 8, when Jesus, with a word, calmed the wind and the waves. And then, if you remember, the disciples said, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? But here they don't ask. They know, and so they proclaim as they fall down before him in worship, they say, truly, you are the Son of God. We've come to the halfway point, 14 chapters through Matthew's gospel, And finally, the disciples seem to be seeing clearly Jesus is the Son of God, fully God with us, Emmanuel. Maybe they're starting to see, starting to take hold of that. They have a long way to go. But they see the beauty of the one before them, and he's worthy of their worship. If he's the Son of God, whether he brings us out of this storm or not, he's worthy of praise. 
Jesus would question our doubt and he would invite us to find something sturdy and solid in him to stand on if we would just see him. But the crowds, they don't have this opportunity, sadly. They come to Jesus, they cross over, they came to land at Gennesaret. Uh, This is Jesus and the disciples. And then when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. So they're, they're seeing a healer. They recognize a healer. They recognize someone who can make bread happen when they're hungry, who can make someone well again who's sick. These are earnest, real needs, the truest felt needs that we have. And they go to Jesus with them, and, and wonderfully, he offers his pre- presence and They implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and obviously he had no problem with that. As many as touched it were made well. He graciously offers this healing, but here's what's sad about this scene. We see no mention of Jesus as Lord. We hear no mention of faith. We hear no mention of worship. The people went away feeling better for the moment. The disciples had the opportunity to press through the doubt in a moment where it was unclear whether Jesus would make everything okay and to see who Jesus was. The Lord of the wind and waves, creator, God, redeemer, the one who's worthy. There's a song called The Beauty Between by King's Kaleidoscope. It's a band I've been listening to. And uh, in the song, one of the lyrics goes like this. It says, if it all fell apart, would I trust in God? And if it's all good, would I need him at all? If it's all good, would the people have even gone out to Jesus? Would there have been anything worthy in their eyes to leave home? I wonder... If everything felt good for us, would we, would we seek him? And if it all fell apart, would we turn our backs on him? Like it did for these people in many respects. They were healed for a moment, but they got sick again. They, they saw him as king for a moment, but then he wasn't the king they wanted. And so they would shout, crucify him. Because they couldn't see. Jesus came for more than just healing. Mark 135 says he, he came for this purpose, to preach, to bring the kingdom, not only to heal. So he left the town where he was and moved on. There were more poor. There were more sick. There were others. There were other needs. But the worthy one was there for anyone who would look to him. And so I just invite you today, whether it's because something hasn't happened in your life that you've longed for for it to happen. Maybe you have intellectual challenges in your mind to Christianity, science and faith, ethical dilemmas, whatever it is. Why do you doubt? Why? What is it? You know, I I could go and uh, I'm going to take a few days to study this week. And uh, so I could go read some really impressive books and, and memorize the answers to your, your questions. And we could imagine we, we have coffee together and you start asking your question and I cut you off before it's over and I'm like, answer, bam. Here's how science and faith cohere. 
And then, you know, you, you have a deep felt uh, concern about suffering and God and how is this possible? And I, oh, I knock that one down and I quote the appropriate theologians. What does that accomplish in that moment, giving you the answers? You see, Wendell Berry, he's a Kentucky poet and farmer, and he says that uh, answers are like a bucket. And you could take a bucket, you could lower it down a well, and you could bring back up some water, and then you can just throw it at someone, right? <laughs> but a question is like a well. It's, you can see it, but you can't see the bottom. It's, it's a fullness that you couldn't fully tap with your bucket answer. And furthermore, if you just give them the bucket, you're taking away their opportunity to come and drink. It's, like, it's almost like if I, you know, if I had a really, really delicious pie Christina made for me, and I invite you all to come and enjoy this pie, and I just stand up here and I just eat it in front of you and describe how it tastes. It's really good, you know? Oh my goodness, you should come and, well, not right now, but you should, you should have pie sometime, you know? I can describe it to you. I can tell you all the answers about pie. But I'm robbing you of the opportunity to taste and see for yourself. Jesus mentors us to learn, to ask not only ourselves, but also one another to be calm in the presence of a person who doesn't have the right answer yet <laughs> and just ask them a question and listen and love them right where they are. God isn't nervous. He's not anxious about that awkwardness. He's immutably calm and true and good and beautiful. And in Jesus, he's come. And he would invite you to listen to a neighbor, to ask them a similar question as he's asked you, why do you doubt? And maybe you get a chance to share why you found something sturdy in Jesus. He's beautiful. He's true. He doesn't work the way I want him to all the time, but oh, he's good. We're going to take a time uh, of some guided prayer here in a moment. Uh, but first, I'm just going to invite us to, to just lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, thank you that you come to us, that you question our doubts through Jesus, and that you would give us something true to stand on. I pray you'd mentor us, Lord, to be a people who would actually take our questions to you, who in community could, could work through these things together. And to be a community where people are safe to have these kinds of questions and doubts and keep following Jesus. So help us, Lord, in this way. Uh, meet us, Lord, in those deep places, we pray. And send us out in your name for your glory. Amen. Uh, we're going to take a time. And I just want to give you a practice that you can take with you. Uh, we're going to uh, just consider together the thoughts of our mind. And I just want to invite you to allow the Lord to uh, direct those thoughts and to fill those thoughts with hope. Um, as a human being, I can have a huge, crazy flurry of thoughts 
especially in hard times, in the midst of anxiety, so much so that I, I don't even keep track of them, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm way down the road with a thought. I don't even know how I got there. And I, those thoughts may be leading me to places of, of worry, of distress, of questioning God. And I've learned a simple practice I want to share with you. So let's, uh, let's if you would, uh, risk, close your eyes with me. Just take a deep breath. The Lord is here with us and he's good. You're anxious about getting out of here on time. Too bad. <laughs> deep breath. Think of the things that are on your mind. If the Lord came to you day, today and said, what's on your mind today, dear one? What are you thinking about? I want to know it all. What is that that's on your mind? You might picture Wilson and all the cars going by and all those th thoughts in your mind are like those cars going down the road. These are the thoughts. The, this is the traffic in my head, Lord. You can name it to him. Is it a happy thought? Is it just what's happening? It's a to-do? Is it something sad? Is it heavy? Name it to the Lord. Maybe there's a, a thought that uh, if you let your thoughts wander, you would just get in that car and ride all the way down Wilson, all the way down to where it dead ends before you know it. But what if you just name that to the Lord? This is really heavy on my heart. This is on my mind today. And you take that car off the road and give it to the Lord. And you might just take uh, something new and put it on the road, uh, something from the Lord. Jesus today says, take heart. I am. I am with you always. Do not be afraid. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Just get in that car for a second. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then as you walk through the rest of your day, know that the Lord is with you. And as you encounter the, the traffic of thoughts, even after you find yourself all the way down the road with a thought that's taken you, know that the Lord is with you. Let him bring you back there. Father, thank you that you've given us promise in Jesus, enduring, steady promise. Lord, we, we wonder so many times. But you've proven your goodness and your love to us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord, that he gave his life, his blood for us. We praise you. Hold us in this truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.